Playing Anything Arty show every Thursday from 8 till 9 on Waiheke Radio, 88.3 and 107.4 FM. That's the Anything Arty show, sponsored by the artist goldsmith Studio Connections on Eroa. Call in to see Christine's latest designs or phone 372-7809 to discuss a commission. Yes, indeed, and here we are again, Thursday evening, Anything Artist Show here on Waiheke Radio, 88.3 and 107.4 FM. And uh, a couple of things on the show tonight. Uh, earlier today, I managed to catch up with James Claremont from the Waiheke Island Cheese Company. Um, and I've mentioned before on the show, uh, uh, art is a uh, or, or food of uh, many varieties is, is an art form in itself. And certainly there's a... Uh, a vast degree of artistry if you want to get cheese right from my very very limited experience of having a crack at cheese making so um, I was delighted to be able to catch up with James a bit earlier so I'll have a conversation with James coming up this evening uh, and in fact there's a giveaway tonight he's 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 offered a very generous uh, prize um uh, for the answering of a simple question, which we'll uh, get to hear at the end of the conversation. Um, the other conversation I have this evening is with uh, Elmore Leonard, uh, scriptwriter and author, prolific scriptwriter, prolific author. Um, and I managed to capture a, a frontline interview, a, a, a interview off the series of Frontline, they were called Frontline Interview with um, Elmore Leonard. So that's going to come up later on this evening as well. Uh, there's quite a few things happening on the island. Beginning of the holiday season seems, seems to be uh, gathering momentum, and uh, there's a number of things reflecting that uh, that are available to us of an arty nature. Um, but on on something that's, uh, I guess, an unrelated, I'm not sure if it's related to being arty, and I guess it is, um, the Santa Parade was quite an arty event, given the uh, creativity involved with the floats. Um, and it was uh, great to have our Waiheke Radio float in there. Uh, this year, it was uh, great fun to get in amongst that. But I'm really curious, and, and it may just be me. Uh, I, I might be looking in the wrong place, but I've checked uh, the marketplace. I've checked the Gulf News. I've checked the Wahiki Weekender. Um, they, and I can only see two pictures of the Santa Parade, and that was on the cover of the marketplace. So either I'm looking in the wrong uh, area in the papers, I'm missing it together, there's pages stuck together, or there were no nobody else was out taking photographs for any other papers i'm really surprised uh, i seem to recall in previous years there were lots of pics of the santa parade but I, i'm not sure so if anybody can enlighten me as to why we have no pictures of the santa parade in the uh, local papers or whether i'm just missing it somewhere that would be uh, fantastic um now what have we got coming up so on of a musical uh, nature a musical note <laughs> pun intended um we have Whitaker's next live at 5 concert um, and that is going to be a bit of a ripper of a show. This is one, actually, that, that I guess uh, David should be having on his um, in a mellow tone show. Um, it's John Mackey uh, on piano and Olivier Holland on upright bass, um, and they're doing a uh, what's known as a swinging Christmas concert, uh, and these guys just, uh, they rock the house. They're fantastic. Uh, um, so, sorry, um, John Mackey is an award-winning jazz pianist and composer, and uh, they've, they've, over their uh, number of visits to the island, they've developed a bit of a following. Um, so I suspect that the concert may well uh, end up being sold out. It's going to be on December 17 at 5 p.m. at Whitaker's. So uh, you might want to get in quick for a ticket. They're going to be $25. Concessions are available. Uh, you can phone 9627 to book. Um, 
just up here at Whitaker's uh, Museum. This is going to be December 19. And uh, what the duo are going to be doing is playing some swinging renditions of many of the uh, sort of holiday Christmassy standards that we'd expect, uh, plus throw in some of their own jazz um, uh, variations of music as well. So that's going to be a, a stunning concert on December 17th. Check that one out. And still on a musical note, uh, Ricky's, who uh, is sponsoring uh, the Navigator show on a Sunday evening um, with Martini. Uh, they've been doing some music recently, and they've got a couple of uh, island artists in terms of uh, musical artists in the Mojo Risers. So um, that's going to be a big event at Ricky's down in Oniroa on the main street. That's Aaron Carpenter, of course, and Neil Goschel. Um, and, and I suspect that'll be a jam-packed evening in there. That's going to be this Friday, so that's tomorrow night from 8.30pm till late. Entry's going to be $10 on the door, um, but those guys just rocked the house down, so that's going to be well worth getting along to. <coughs> Excuse me, Ricky's down there in Oniroa for that one. Now, there'll be some more uh, events and things happening around the island, which I'll pick up on as the show goes on. Uh, but we'll take some time out now and just uh, catch up with this conversation I had with um, uh, James Claremont from the Waiheke Island Cheese Company earlier today. And uh, uh, there is definitely artistry in a number of different uh, food, uh, or the creation of a number of different food products. And uh, James describes himself uh, as an artisan cheesemaker, so I was curious as to starting off our conversation with um, just what, in fact, uh, an, being an artisan cheesemaker actually means. So we're going to start there and uh, let the uh, conversation unfold. It's a commercial cheesemaker. Simply is that um, we make the cheese now um, by hand in a vat, stirring the milk by hand, cutting the curd by hand, moulding the cheese into the baskets by hand, pressing the cheese by hand, turning the cheese by hand. There's a theme here that everything's by hand. <laughs> it's all by hand. So hypothetically, if we were a Fonterra, that would all be automated. Right. There were machines that would do that. They'd simply put the milk in, switch it on, and, and you know, the end day, it would all go into the baskets and the cheese would go into the... Automatic time automatically after and, and, and all that kind of stuff. No one would have touched the cheese by hand. Right. Um, so, so really, you know, that's the term artisan. So, when when you are looking at that and, and the cheese is going through its the process of being made, then yes. rather than just being, you know, stick it in a vat, set the timer for ten minutes and come back, then mm. you it's more it's more under observation through that process. Yeah, so well, it's actually, by almost we sight control and the temperature. And texture we control and, the temperature. Yeah. Um, basically by using hot water. Right. Um, I make cheese in 500 litre vats. And for all intents and purposes, they're um, in a square vat which has a water jacket. Okay. And you control the temperature of the milk once it's come out of the pasteuriser right. using hot and cold water through the water jacket of the vat itself. Got you. I, I, have, I have a uh, picture in my mind of looking at a, a, a beer... Uh, manufacturing process, mm. in fact, on the island with Alan Knight doing yeah. their home beer, and and there was a, a similar uh, idea about a, a water jacket that allowed you to cool or heat the the um, these are them the barley, etc. So okay, right. So 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 that's the actual vats there, um, which we control. Okay, so what we're looking at because this is great radio. <laughs> you and I are looking at looking at a picture here. Th- this is your actual cheese making. This is where um, I am now. You know, right. you see me here. I'm cutting the curd yeah. in the vats. Yeah. 
these are the presses that we do, you know, to press the the particular types of cheese. Right. Because you're, you're, the, the range no. of cheeses that you have... Are all sheep milk. Everything's sheep milk. We just make sheep milk cheeses. Why is that? Um, well, for a bunch of reasons, really. I think the primary reason being is that when we looked at the island and thought, if we were to ever to look to introduce animals to the island to milk, right. what would suit? Gotcha. And one of the actually... Um, so, so dairy, wouldn't, you can't milk dairy here. But the funny thing about that is actually a family relation was the last dairy milker here on the island in 1955. Wow. Which is actually now the golf course club room. Is that right? So my uncle used to live in there. So I laugh, actually. We've come full circle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a blood uncle, but, you know, I've come back all the way, and all of a sudden here I am making cheeses. Um, And so the reason that we went to the sheep milk is because we knew that um, we would only be able to milk sheep on the island. You can't introduce... Goats anywhere in the Haraki Gulf. Oh right, okay. So yeah, you. So the the, the notion of doing goats would be appealing, but you can't actually. Auckland Regional Council have a bylaw right that say that you can't. Gotcha. Yeah. So where you um so then with your sheep yes you have the the sheep are on the island some of the sheep I have on island right um. I literally bought a handful of sheep from where I source my milk from, okay. which is down in the Bay of Plenty. Right. So what I did was I went and bought some sheep here, introduced them to the island about a year and a half ago, purposely just to see how they would adjust to the climate, how they would work with the grass here. Um, and that's the ram I introduced them to. So you brought them over just to see how it would work out, just to check and see if they would take to the conditions, if it would work here? They're a particular breed. Right. Um, they're an East Frisian crossed with an Awasi, which is a Middle Eastern breed. Oh. Um, and East Frisian actually originates out of Europe. So we thought, well, let's go and get some of them here. And then we actually uh, put a local ram to them, a ram actually from Church Bay Farm. And we thought, well, let's take a local ram and put them over with the girls and see how they go. And by all accounts, our lambing percentage was good. You know, we had five lambs at foot out of the three ewes that I put the ram to. Um, and interesting enough, <coughs> the um, the ewes that gave me twins have given me absolutely the best milk yield. Oh. Quite considerably so. Oh. And I was actually just looking at um, the, the milking figures today. We started milking um, October the 26th. And our first milk on that day, we were milking twice at that stage, we got 4.8 litres out of the three ewes. And to give you an idea, we're now down to about 1.4 out of one milking a day. Gosh. So what happens... considerable, yeah. uh, Yeah, so, um, you know, that was the first milk day was October the 26th. Yeah. Um, And once again, we wanted to see, you know, how long we could leave before we could take the lambs off them. And what we've learned from this is I could probably have taken the lambs off them and started milking maybe two weeks earlier. Okay. Um, and the idea was was really just to see how that all went and to see, you know, because they were pretty, um, oh, well, you know, they, were, they weren't exactly tame-tame, but they were relatively yeah. quiet. Yeah. But now they're so tame that literally they're waiting, they're screaming, banging on the door <laughs> because I feed them a little sheep nuts in the morning to entice them. And so they're there in the morning waiting to, you know, to come into the shed. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's a pretty fast process. 
you know, I've got a little hand pump and I literally go in there and put some feed um, nuts in a little bin for them. And then they come one at a time. It's always the same order. The eldest first. Yeah. Um, and then her sister and then the oldest's daughter. They all come in. So it's, they come. they've got their own little, you know. And it doesn't take long. Right. Um, so then with that milk, you then obviously send it off home. To no. To, or, or what I'm doing with sorry. that milk locally right. is homemade yoghurt. Ah, okay. Yeah, All which right. I'm going to give you a little bit to taste in a minute. So, oh, yeah. Ooh. So, so this, so, so the, the 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 larger flock that you have, yes, is I where s- the cheese currently comes from. No, the larger no. flock is where I get the milk. So what I right. do is I source the milk yeah. down by Lake Taupo. Okay. During the the milking season, which traditionally runs from sort of October through to maybe January or February, okay. I transport the milk up to Potaru. Yeah. I drive down there, which is where you saw the factory. Where the factory is, yeah. And make cheese. Right. Now, at this stage, it's fair, you know, I don't make the cheese all on my own. Right. I work with a cheesemaker, and his name is Neil Wilman. Okay. And the reason I got to meet Neil was he was my tutor at the New Zealand Cheese School. Oh, okay. So I went down to study to become a New Zealand cheese master, which I'm still underway doing. Um, and we formed a great relationship, and I told him about the whole Waiheke thing. And he said to me, why don't you look to make some of your cheeses under contract here to begin with? Right. Well, I'll just, I'll I'll leap in there for a moment. I I did a um, a three-hour cheese-making course at the the college on on the island here, part of the uh, community night classes. And uh, I think it was a a, a basic mozzarella cheese. And at the end of that time, I realised that I was much quicker just going down to the supermarket and buying some because by the time you looked at the... It, it's, a, it's a complex process, so you really have to love this mm. to, to, to stick with it, or at least I, I, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, everything from um, the hygiene perspective, because there seemed to be, even with, with this fairly, what I understood to be a fairly easy cheese to work with yes. uh, in terms of learning, there's a, there's a heat that can go wrong with it. Everything from temperature to cleanliness of the equipment you're using and the conditions you're in the environment the potential for bugs to get in there so it's, it's, it's very much controlled and, and, and they, uh, uh, I think you have, in my word you'd have to be very disciplined at what you were doing the cleaning as you see, is outstanding is just beyond belief yeah. really the amount yeah. of um, you know cleaning and sanitising you have to do every time you touch something yeah. within the cheese room so well, I, I can actually see just from that small glimpse into the world of cheese making that mm-hmm. to work with somebody who's a master at what they do and, and, and alongside them makes absolute sense rather than leap in and say well I'll spend a few hundred grand on building a factory here and just give it a go and see what happens um, but what what got you into this in the first place? What, what well it was really it was the, you know the driver was a desire to want to move to Waiheke Island with my wife start a family create a business that allow us not to commute. Right. So we were actually in Auckland, living in Avondale. We were both in the corporate sector, and I luckily got made redundant. So my wife and I said, well, what are we going to do? She said, Kate said to me, well, James, you know, you can go back out there. I'd worked in the telecommunication industry for quite some time, and I could have gone back out there and found another job. And we said, well, really, where do we want to be in 10 to 15 years' time? And and that didn't picture at all. Right. Um, So we went... Well, we had some friends on Waiheke who'd moved here. We'd been coming here for four or five years holidaying. And we just said, let's go and look and see what we can do on Waiheke. 
So I literally came here on the ferry from Auckland in the morning, jumped on the bus, and just went around and sat on the bus like a little tourist and just thought, what, what do I do? <laughs> and it took me really, you know, a couple of weeks, and, and I said, gone home to Kate and said, oh, I think we should do a bakery, but I'll leave other people doing them. As a chef by trade, I, I thought, you know, I could do something hospitality-related. Okay. So... I thought, okay, let's. What can we do within the hospitality, you know? And then, so we kind of looked at the reason for people to come here, and it's a celebration of life and so forth. And we looked at the table, and if you looked at the table, there's wonderful olive oils, you know. There's some wonderful wines. Yeah. What's kind of missing from <coughs> that? There's some bread. Well, Patrick from Ringawara yes. does the most amazing breads, so I don't want to be up against him. <laughs> so we thought, oh well, let's um, let's look at making some cheese. No one else is doing it. And dare I say it, three years down the road, I know why no one else is doing it. <laughs> if I want to know what I know now, what have I carried on? Well, I don't know, you know. <coughs> so you're on your, on your road to becoming what's, uh, what's, what's recognised as a cheese master. That's correct. And, and how long <coughs> is that? Does it take a, a, a determined amount of time? Can you do it faster or slower? Or, um, it's actually, <coughs> no, it, it can be done within a relatively short period of time, but it's all about doing... Um, certain modules okay right and to be perfectly honest I think I'm about I've only got like one module to do right um, but I haven't you know yeah. I haven't really been that disciplined where I've gone and done it you know and yeah. finished it yet so it's, it's on the sort of radar um, but I find I'm just far too busy right and do I say it, you know as much as I want to do it, it's not hindering me at all at yeah, this stage of yeah, what I'm doing. Absolutely, you know? absolutely. So let's jump back to it was Neil, isn't it? Neil Wilman. So let's jump yeah. back to to um, Neil, who who was uh, with you on that. Well, mm. sorry, he he was part of the uh, teaching team. On, on yeah, he was the tutor. He was a tutor. He was a tutor that he's done cheese school. So I suggested that that why not uh, start making cheese under contract chair there, which which <coughs> we um, decided to do. So we basically contracted Neil to write us. Um, three recipes in the first season and that was the Picorino, the Manchego and the Blue. Right. And so then I went down with Neil every month and helped him make the cheeses. Okay. And then so the second season we introduced another two, i.e. the Feta and the Camembert. So here we are in our third season and we've got the five cheeses as our main cheeses. Right. To supplement our cheeses um, and the fact that the milking season is so small we've been um, importing some organic dairy cheeses, some organic cow oh, cheeses okay. from Matatoki, which is an interesting story in itself because we source the milk from a place in the Bay of Plenty, which is owned by a Māori trust called the Waituia Kotatau Trust. They own this substantial sheep station where they milk anywhere between three to 5,000 ewes a day. Wow. Wow. So on top of that, they went and bought a cheese company called Matatoki down in Coromandel. So that was their way of getting into the market, knowing that they had the milk, they needed a dairy. So they went and bought Matatoki. That's amazing. Huh. Isn't that fantastic? Mm. So with, with the short... That's it there. Oh, there, wow, beautiful. With that, as you were saying, relatively short milking period... Yes. That, because just trying to understand, with, with, your, with, with your artisan cheeses, presumably when that milking period's over, then yep. you can't make any more cheese. No. So you don't just shove it in a freezer somewhere no. and then bring it out every now and again and put it on the shelf at the, at the stores who buy it. It's, I it's the only cheese. available within... The milk's the, only the, available. The, right. 
But remember, the three cheeses that I might have varying degrees of age before I look to sell them. Hence, you might have an 18-month-old or, or, or a longer or right. shorter. Whatever. That's right. I get you. Okay. So to give you an idea, uh, the Pecorino and Manchego, we age for a minimum of 9 to 12 months. The blue is probably any; it can be eaten after about three or four months. Okay. But it's probably at its optimum at around seven to eight months. Right. So does that mean, James, that, that say starting out, there might be a time period where to get hold of your cheeses would be difficult, and until such time as that first cycle of say or second cycle where you've got uh, uh, aging for nine now. months is now beginning. So basically, you can go into the store at any stage and find the fresh cheeses there. I'm just, I'm just into that. I've just got to that, you know, you're that critical mass point now. So it's taken about three years for that cycle to. My happen, first season right? of cheeses, I sold out in year one. Right. The second year of cheeses, we had we we. we basically doubled our production from the first year right? and with, with the hope actually that we would probably be able to move a lot of it through the World Cup which didn't actually materialise for us however what it did do was then made, allowed me to bank a lot more cheese right? so now when I go down into my maturing room I've got probably three or four hundred kilo of 12, 14 month old cheese now wow. Wow. so that's really great Yeah. and now so that's the Pecorino and the Manchego. They're all 12 to 14 months. My blue, I'd sold out of completely, so I've actually got a bit of a, a lapse now. Um, I'll be introducing that around the first week of January. Okay. And the Camembert has just come back on, but that's proved so popular that I've sold out of the first batch of 20 kilo we made. Wow. And I made 40 kilo of it two weeks ago, and that should be here in a week. Amazing. And uh, my feta, yeah. um, once again... Um, very happy with the quality of the feta. In fact, I've had some really, really great accolades from local people saying it's quite possibly, you know, the nicest feta they've ever eaten. Fantastic. It's not too salty. Yeah. Um, it's quite a little bit of citrusy aftertaste. Right. It's a lovely, lovely cheese. And is, is the, there are two things I want to catch up on. One was the recipes you were mentioning with Neil, yep. and the other is the, 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 where your main markets are. Yep. Um, the, with the recipes you mentioned, you, you got Neil to write create, the recipes. Yeah, to write yep. the recipes. So, is is the recipes you've had for your cheeses unique to you, if you like? Is, is it, is, have you got a no. way or, or some no. something in there that makes it special? <coughs> okay, so. First of all, the three cheeses. We make a picorino. Picorino is essentially Italian for sheep cheese. We make a picorino Toscano style of cheese, which is a semi-firm cheese. Right. So that's the style of cheese. Um, really what dictates the different tasted type of cheese is uh, to do with the culture and the rennets that you use. Okay. And the different temperature you take the milk to. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, there's some varying. So one of the things as a cheese master would be you would look and talk to me, for example, if I said if I came along and said James, would you do me a, a, a cheese recipe, make a cheese for me? Then you'd be interested in what what is it that I want from the cheese? What style of cheese do I want? What what environment are we in? So you can say, well, do you know what? You're actually better off having this style of a cheese. So let's go and make sure that that would work. Is that is that kind of how, how to sort of tailor the requirements as it were? Yes, and more to do with the milk, and I guess I'm looking at your market. Right, right. You know, okay. For us, it was looking at what cheeses would work on this island. 
Because that would be the other consideration is you don't just want to produce slabs of cheddar, presumably, because you're saying, well, <laughs> why, why would you? So there's obviously... So when you were thinking about the table and thinking about... The, did you look at the other local produces that might be accompanying a cheese on a table? Did Absolutely. you kind of envisage what might well, be having... It was more around the wines. Ah, right. Okay. It was okay. around, you know, we wanted to make table cheeses. Ah, right. We didn't want to make cooking cheeses. Okay. We wanted to make suitable table cheeses. So a table cheese would be something that you might have to accompany a glass of wine exactly. by itself with a, with a piece of bread or a cracker or even on its own. That's exactly right. right. Got you. So you looked at the wines and you thought to match them potentially cheeses that would augment that experience. That's fantastic because I, I, I just had a conversation. I was fortunate to have a conversation with uh, and have John Hawksby on the show uh, last week and we were talking about art and wine. Yeah. And of course, he, as you know, has, has matched wine with just about anything else under the sun. But we were talking about the ability of, of wine to enhance the experience of, of a meal. Yeah. And now here's a fantastic, what you've just explained is when, where, where you've almost gone the other way around instead of looking at the food and saying, what wine? You've looked at the wine and said, great, now what food, <laughs> what cheese would potentially work with that wine selection on the island? That's brilliant. I've got to laugh wow. too, because John... Um, John's a, John's a customer of ours, but John likes to swap his olive oil and wine for our. <laughs> so if you look at my wine right there, there's a few, a few bottles of Hawksby in there. <laughs> I'm sure it works. It works quite <laughs> well. A lot of things on the island seem to do. Yep. So your um, your main customer base is is that is it on island, off island? Is it a combination change for you? Is it <coughs> look, it's all and 98 percent of it is on island. Um, I've looked at going to Auckland, and to be fair. Our cheeses are at the top end of the market, and when I say the top end, quality and price. Yeah. The logistics of trying to move stuff around Auckland is mind-boggling, because all said and done, you have to move, be able to move a product from point A to point B at a guaranteed four degrees okay. to comply with your food safety plan and risk management plan. And look, I've tried to go into Auckland. I've picked up, you know, I had, had half a dozen restaurants in Auckland. But, you know, they'd ring me on a Tuesday morning saying, oh, can we have 500 grams of this cheese? And, you know, and, and the reality is to try and move a 500-gram block of cheese from Waiheke to, say, The Grove or Meredith or, you know, one of a handful of restaurants in Auckland was just, it's just not feasible, right. economically yeah. feasible. Yeah. Um, so I guess it's fair to say in order for me to do that, I have to set up a whole distribution base yeah. out of Auckland. Yeah. And we're not big enough to do that yet. Right. It would mean buddying up with someone like the produce company, or quite possibly someone like Bidvest. Okay. All right. That's what it would mean. And that adds a whole new, di- different dynamic to what you've set out to create for yourselves here. It does. So that's, that, I guess that's a, if yeah. should that eventuate, that's a big consideration, I would imagine, for what you wanted to start off doing. So what I do at the moment, actually, is I just supply um, one chef who's family. He's a cousin of mine. He's got a company called Auckland Private Chef. And uh, he's got a couple of contracts for a couple of yacht clubs, and he has our cheeses on their menus. And so periodically, time to time, the phone rings and says, hey, I need four kilo of this and four kilo of that for an event. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. So, the, so then it's, it's really it's, it's something that is unique to us on the island, which is fantastic. It is unique. Yeah. And I think it's fair to say that, you know, so the first year we made all the cheeses, and then we looked at the cheeses and thought, well, once they leave the dairy, how can you add value to them? And it's fair to say, you know, I didn't know. So my wife and I, we, we were really lucky. We took a trip up to Europe 
Um, and in six weeks, we drove basically throughout Italy and out France constantly, every day in a car, going to a cheese ring. <laughs> and look, you know, um, I put on 10 kilo. <laughs> And man, I ate some cheese. But what I was really, really, um, I, I was really lucky, glad. I, I went to an, a particular area um, in Italy called the Multipuziano region in Pienza. And I'd been told them actually by a couple of local ladies who live here. And they said, you've got to go there and have a look at the, at the cheeses there. They're, they're beyond relief. So I was absolutely just in awe when I went there. And you're talking, you know, tiny little villages with, you know, the walkways where there's only five feet apart and all these cheese rooms. And I started to see the cheeses soaked in ash, rather um, rubbed in ash, soaked in charcoal, soaked in wines, and rubbed in uh, tomatoes, etc. And I thought, well, that's a whole new, whole new area of, of of interest, you know. So, so what I started to learn is that's actually called the art of affineur. So, an affineur is somebody who takes the cheese from the dairy, adds value to it. Uh. And then takes it to market. Wow! So it's like it's like an artist getting a canvas and a pot of paints and some brushes and actually adding value to those items by creating something quite special. So you could potentially, with that art form, you take the basic cheese and you go and do something special with it. Yeah. So the whole affineur thing was it really struck me as well. That's something that we can do. So I came home full of beans and um, approached two of the vineyards. One of them being Stony Ridge and the other being Destiny Bay. Right. And in the first year, I worked with Stony Ridge. Uh, and what I did was I took the pressings from the Luna Negra season. And then I took one of my softer picorinos and I soaked it in the lees of the Luna Negra. Um, and I soaked it in a, in a room of around about 10 to 12 degrees. And what happened is... I. I Basically, I did about four different types to work out how best to get there. So what I did was, I'd, first of all, I'd dry the cheese out a bit so the rind would be a little bit porousy, and then I'd soak it in the, in the wine, and it would take up the colouring of the wine. Okay. And then I'd take it out of the leaves again, and then I'd dry it out a bit more. And then I soaked it again, and then I dried it again. So it took me around about four months to get the cheese to where I wanted it to. Yeah. So where it had, the, the wine had sort of gone through the rinds around about two to three mil. So aesthetically, it's the most beautiful cheese. Taste-wise, if it's served correctly, i.e. brought up to 14 to 15 degrees, you know, you do get the wine taste coming through right. and, the, and, and when you're eating the rind. It doesn't go all the way through the cheese, but it does go through you know, definitely into the rind. Yeah. Once again, all my cheeses are vegetarian rennet and naturally rinded. So we don't use anything other than... We can't say it's organic because the milk's not organic. Right. But it's as natural as it can be. So talk, talking about that add value uh, brings me to a question of... of uh, when you mentioned to me when we spoke about being able to have this conversation about something that's happening starting this weekend, I think it is on Sunday... Um, which you mentioned to me was an artisan market. That's right. Now, now I, in, in my inimitable fashion, said, oh, you mean a farmer's market? And you very quickly said, no, I don't mean a farmer's market. I mean, I mean an artisan's market. <coughs> and, and so I'm, I'm, I'm curious to, to understand again right. the, well, the, the distinction. The, the delineation between a, um, a farmer's market and an artisan market simply 
To be a true farmer's market, everything has to be produced here on the island um, or within a certain radius. And we were involved with the last farmer's market that was here. And by all accounts, in concept, that was fantastic. And it worked really well to a point. But what happened is when all the people that, you know, your artisan providers, when they didn't have any product because of whatever, the, the growing season, then you've got no market. Okay. So unless you can actually source product all oh, year round yeah. from different areas. Oh, yeah. So, so really, by being a farmer's market, you really, really restrict yourself. Right. So it's fair to say um, our one is more of a, a food-orientated market because there's going to be a lot of stallholders down there with food. Right. And we're talking, you know, quarterly no with his altar, let's so, um, Kirsty with her, you know, Langos, uh, you've got, um, you know, the, the French crepes, yeah. Richard from Nice Touch with his relishes, right. um, Richard Evert with his honey from Waiheke okay. honey, so... Patrick and his breads. Patrick and his breads. All his breads, his breads um, are phenomenal. Yeah. Yep, I'm selling food embassy olive oil. Oh, okay. Right. So, and um, one of the feet, what I'm really happy is um, uh, a lady by the name of Jolene is turning up who makes these amazing cupcakes. Oh, is this a lady I might have read about uh, uh, from time to time on the island? Is she on the island? She is. And she's, she's just, I, I, I think... She's a South African woman who wrote a couple of things and she's just got this passion for cupcakes and, and she just has some amazing recipes. She does some it? really beautiful yeah. cupcakes. Yeah. So, you know, it's fair to say that the market is open to all those that, are, that consider themselves artisan, artisan food providers. Nice. And, and by, by the distinction you've given me, that means that you have longevity in being able to run the market. You're not dependent on... Seasons. On the seasons, as it were. You can actually keep going with, with high-quality foods right through. So yeah. where's it going to be held? Um, it? It's at the Bay, which is down between okay. yeah. And, yeah, the first one is this Sunday. So is it on the, is it on the lawn area down It's the on the lawn area the right off the deck in the front of oh, the deck. Oh, no, yeah, because the, they've got that big deck out the front. They just go down into that really nice flat grass area That's right. towards the beach. Nice That's exactly where it is. Yeah. And, look, the Bay have got the most amazing oysters, and they call them yuckies. They're from up north. And by all accounts, they're the biggest oysters I've ever, ever seen in my life. And so um, Peter Becker, the chef there, he's going to be preparing those, as well as doing some hot smoked salmon. So there's going to be some really nice oh, food down there. Yeah. And how long, when's, what's the sort of running time of it in terms of um, days? It'll start, it'll, well, we'll start at nine yeah. and finish, I'd say by one thirty to two o'clock. Okay. A lot of it will depend on that last ferry at 12 o'clock, which leaves Auckland at 12. Gotcha. How busy that is. Right. And so we'll try and, you know, stay open and cater to them. Oh, yep. to try and catch people as they come off and through before they head into the island. Gotcha. That's right. Yeah, all right, nice. Yep. Okay. So that's going to start this Sunday. Yeah. It's going to be from about 9 till about 1.30 and down on the lawn at the bay. That's right. right. Very cool. Now, just to finish our conversation, if I may, um, what keeps you going at this? I mean, what what... Because there's a, there's a heap in it in terms of making you cheeses. Look, I've, I've got, you know, I've got my vision. And um, if anything, I would, you know, one of my strong characteristics is, is my tenaciousness. And um, I'm someone who, buck, you know, buckles down and gets into it. And I've got this vision of what I want here on the island. And, and I call it an experiential experience. I have a vision of um, a busload of children being able to turn up, see the sheep coming down from the hill into the yards, watch them being milked, then watch the whole cheese maker in the cheese room and then sample it next door or buy the product next door. Wow. And that's for me is the driver. 
That's fantastic. I've got this vision of that. Yeah. And and look, you know, so hence why I milk these sheep by hand at present. Got the very tame. Yeah. Um, and I make my yogurt. So it's fair to say, I think the easiest route to introduce something to the island which would make it commercially viable and sustainable would be to actually put a yogurt maker in a shipping container and basically buddy myself up alongside one of the vineyards. Yeah. And... Sort and basically milk, you know, fifty to a hundred sheep here, but bring the rest of the milk in off island, gotcha. frozen. Right, yeah. And that is the most economically viable way to go about it. Right. And as I alluded to earlier, you know, we're in the business of shipping stuff at four degrees from point A to point B. Yeah. And so the idea then being that you know, in order to get into the Auckland market, we then use one of those carriers that constantly come to the island and go back empty. Right. So that would be like using Big Fish or the Produce Company. Yeah, feed into that. Right. So they could pick up the yogurt from the island and then take it and, and distribute it into the Auckland yeah. restaurants for us. Fantastic. That, currently, actually, just before we do go, um, where can I get hold of your cheeses right now on the island? Where, where's okay. The, uh, well, retail-wise, uh, you can get an Aotearoa from the Fruit and Veg, the Waiheke Wine Centre, um, Island Time, um, as of tomorrow, the Food Embassy, and... Uh, they, so those are the retail points. Right. Oh, because Embassy's opening the deli tomorrow. The deli tomorrow. Yeah, right. Gotcha. So yeah. very happy to have all our cheeses um, in there. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, so yeah, very, very happy to be working with Tony and Barb there to, to get those cheeses there, as well as um, a couple on the menu. That's great. And look, uh, you know, at any one given point, like last summer, for example, we had twenty three customers on the island, and they range from the. Um, uh, OFC down here in Oniroa. Yes. We have a little cheese yep. board. Obviously to the likes of Stony Ridge and Mudbrick. Right. Mudbrick's probably our biggest customer consistently throughout the year. Right, right. They're the, the great supporters of us. So I can, I can get it, as you say, retail, or more than likely if I'm at one of the restaurants on the island and, and one of the wineries, your cheese is going to be available for me on the on the menus. Um, look, as a, you know... Some of the restaurants may have one or two of the cheeses, and yep. some of them may just have the one. Fantastic. Um, we're happy for all the support. <laughs> <laughs> That's but, brilliant. Uh, yeah, and once again, the Saturday market and the soon-to-be Sunday market. Yeah, mm. that's a great. James, look, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate Thanks, it. It's, uh, I've, I've, I've learned even more than I learned at the three hours at night school. <laughs> it's definitely not an area I'm going into, but I, I can see exactly why you do it. It's just absolutely fantastic. And, and the vision you have to create that sort of an environment where children can can learn some of that artisan, or just get to get to appreciate, yeah. I guess, a, a bit more about life and what goes on in terms of in, in the creation of some of the foods that we eat is just fantastic. So... Appreciate it very much indeed, thanks. So what we'll do now, Doodles, we'll have a little competition. And the first person who can ring in and answer this question, they'll win themselves a $20 cheese voucher, redeemable at the Sunday market or the Saturday <laughs> market. All right, okay. So first person who can ring in, answer this question. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll uh, give you the number uh, 372-7192 372-7192 but you have to ring in when you don't hear my voice or James's voice because that means it will stop talking so um, you give us the question and I'll get the answer off air <laughs> how many teats do sheep have? 
Well, there you go. How many teats do sheep have? All right, if you can answer that question. Is there a, is there a number range we can give people? No. Less than, more than? No, no. right, okay. How many teats does a sheep have? If you can answer that question correctly, be the first person to ring 3727192. Uh, James and the Waiheke Island Cheese Company have put up for offer a $20 cheese voucher redeemable at the uh, new artisan fair this Sunday down at the Bay um, at Matiatia. So I will... Uh, Say thanks very much, James. Uh, you and I will disappear and leave the phones to ring. Thanks a lot again, James Free Time, and for that uh, fantastic offer. Thank you, Do. Hi, this is Michelle, and you're listening to Why Hickey Radio. This team of us set for action. He is the doctor. I am the doctor. He's got the good looks and the tools on the train. If you've got anything wrong with your car, call in and see Dr. Phil and the team at the Waiheke Warrant Fitness Centre, 33 Tahi Road. Phone 372-3270. Waiheke Warrant Fitness Centre. Proudly sponsoring Rock on the Rock every Friday night from 9 till 8, right here on Waiheke Radio 88.3 and 107.4 FM. Stepping out every Friday from 4 till 6. When your DJ, TJ, dissects the charts from 1956 to 1986. They're all here on Stepping Out, your Friday drive show. Brought to you by AJAD, the best Indian restaurant here on Waiheke. So, get Stepping Out every Friday on Waiheke Radio, 88.3 and 107.4 FM. Every Friday night, Waiheke Radio brings you the Darby and Joan Fan Club. Yeah, I'm Darby. And I'm Joan. And each week we'll be bringing you sports news and reviews from Waiheke, New Zealand and internationally, with key interviews with local and national sports personalities. A roundup of all the week's sport and a look ahead to the upcoming fixtures and events. All that and Joan's knitting report. It can't be ignored. The Darby and Joan Fan Club, every Friday. Proudly sponsored by Barbizza, the barbecue pizza oven that rocks. So order yours now, go to barbizza.com. Kia ora, this is Anika Moore and you're listening to Waiheke Radio. It's choice. The Anything Arty Show, every Thursday from 8 till 9 on Waiheke Radio. 88.3 and 107.4 FM. That's the Anything Arty Show, sponsored by the artist goldsmith Studio Connections on Eroa. Call in to see Christine's latest designs or phone 372-7809 to discuss a commission. Yes, indeed. And uh, check them out, Ocean View Road. Thanks again to David and Christine sponsoring the show and looking after us. Much appreciated. And uh, thanks to James uh, for uh, a really fascinating conversation about the Waiheke Island Cheese Company. And and I love doing um, conversations in situ, as it were. Uh, James was uh, very kind enough to invite me around to um, his home to do that, uh, have that conversation and we were joined by Theo, his uh, young son, who uh, joined us early on and Kate in the background having a conversation so it was very much a family occasion, it was uh, very enjoyable and um, yeah, just uh, check out the uh, Artisan Market coming up Sunday down um, at the Bay uh, 
and uh, perfect place for it down on that lawn. Uh, I think there's about 23, 24 um, uh, food providers represented down there, so it'll be quite an occasion. Now, um, the second conversation, I mentioned we were going to uh, have a conversation from a series called Front Row Interviews, and this is going to be with Elmore Leonard, um, scriptwriter and um, prolific author. Uh, and it's uh, we'll be hearing from uh, uh, a chap called Mark Lawson who managed to have a conversation with uh, Elmore earlier on. Uh, this year it was. Um, and it's about, amongst other things, about his decision to stop screenwriting. Um, he's just... The, the, the guy, as I was saying, is just prolific in his writing. Screenplays, um, things like, uh, and some of these will be familiar to you, uh, Moment of Vengeance, 310 to Yuma, Moonshine Wars, um, Mr. Majestic, a classic Mr. Majestic with Charles Bronson, um, with the fabulous tagline of, he didn't want to be a hero until the day they pushed him too far. <laughs> just brilliant. Uh, uh, one of my favourites, and I didn't think it would be, but I really enjoyed was... Um, one he did for uh, Get Shorty with uh, John Travolta, Rene Russo and Danny DeVito. It was an absolute cracker. And uh, and the absolute um, legendary Jackie Brown, that was uh, one of his scripts uh, with Pam Greer in the main role. Um, it it uh, originally came out of a book called uh, Rum Punch that Elmore wrote uh, after Reservoir Dogs had come out. And he wrote uh, the, the book Rum Punch, uh, brought back three main characters from a, an earlier novel of his called The Switch. Um, which, when uh, th- there's a story about Quentin Tarantino that uh, when he was a kid he uh, shoplifted, he he nicked a copy of uh, El- uh, the, the book The Switch. Um, he was just fascinated by uh, uh, Elmore Leonard and he nicked this copy of The Switch. He got caught, um, but apparently uh, it didn't deter him. He went back later and had another crack at the same store <laughs> to to steal another copy of the book <laughs> to um, to make sure he could get hold of it and read it. So he was very much a, a strong influence um, in, uh, in in Tarantino's uh, filmmaking. And in fact, uh, those of you who may have seen uh, a Tarantino movie directed by Tony Scott, and there's a whole other story behind this particular movie, which is an interesting one as well. It was called True Romance, and it was it's absolutely a phenomenal movie. It's a bit of a uh, sleeper movie. Not too many people uh, uh, have heard about it, but it's one that when you see it, it's just stunning. Um, so I, I think at one stage it was at the... I think our um, Video Easy had it on the island. Um, check out and see if they do, but... Uh, it's, get hold of it it's called True Romance um, I'm trying desperately to think of the uh, two lead characters in it if, oh, I can, if I can find out before the end of the show if it comes back to me uh, tip of the tongue doesn't matter I'm, I'll get them they are just brilliant in this um, but uh, uh, um, Tarantino that he'd uh, the movie sorry uh, True Romance that he'd written um, he said that uh, it was the, the novel that uh, Leonard never wrote so he really modelled that whole um, movie and that whole script on uh, as if Elmore Leonard would have written it, and it's a it's a it's a great one, really great one. Now, um, so uh, why have I been rattling on about that? Yes, because we're going to hear from a conversation Mark Lawson had with uh, El- a really interesting conversation with Elmore Leonard about, um, amongst other things, about his decision that he took um, to stop screenwriting. Screenwriting in '93, I finally did one for Paramount and decided uh, I don't like doing this. You're working for someone. You're not working for yourself, even though you're adapting your own material. Still, you're doing what they want. And it's not always what I want. But if you want to get paid, you do what they want. 
you know. But I don't think they have the judgment to decide that my book should go this way instead of in another direction. So when I'm writing a book, I do exactly what pleases me. You know, that's, I think, perhaps why you write a book. And on Justified, you have an executive producer credit, and on some of the movies you have. How active is that? Well, I'm writing a book. In fact, I finished it just before I came to Europe, which is called Raylan. I don't know when it'll be published, maybe next summer or fall. And part of what I've completed in this book has already become part of Justified. But it'll be a scene, you know, or just a little something. And they welcome it, you know. They began this season looking for ideas, and I hand them half of a book. I felt, as an executive producer, I should do more. I should contribute something. I just sit there and get a check every, every week, you know. I mean, I've been working all my life. I've been writing for 60 years. And uh, you have to write to get paid. My first story was in 1951 in Argosy Magazine, you know. I had a job uh, at an advertising agency, and I had kids growing up, so the only thing to give myself time was to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, and I did that for 10 years, 5 o'clock, write for two hours, try and write two pages in two hours, which I can't do now. It takes me all day to write three or four, maybe. Four is a, really a good day. Uh, it gets harder. <laughs> doesn't get easier. It gets harder. So I still have a fondness for Westerns, <laughs> and, and I just sort of drift back. One of your famous ten rules of writing is not to give too much description of the character, but in your head, have you always had a very clear image of what Raylan Givens looks like? I don't have a clear image of his face. And when this Raylan came along, I mean, Timothy Oliphant, oh my God, that's, that's Raylan. But uh, some characters, when I'm writing the book, I see rather vividly, but others I don't. And I don't want to describe them in any detail, because Steinbeck said back in 56, when he wrote, uh, mm, it was one of the Cannery Rows, set books and one of the characters from Cannery Row and this is in the preface he uh, violated one of my rules immediately by having a preface the guy in the preface said I don't like to read descriptions of characters I like to figure out what they look like by the way they talk and the way they act And, and I think the reason is the reader wants to picture somebody and what is described in a book what the person looks like, the reader might not like it, you know? Let the reader come up with his own idea of a, of a character. Do you get, because of the, the ten rules have become so famous now and they're online and published, And do you get letters from keen-eyed, or emails from keen-eyed readers or academics saying on page 78 of this one, you broke one of your rules, Mr. Leonard? <laughs> I probably do, but I have no, I haven't heard from anyone, no. I wrote my rules in the year 2000 when I was guest of honor at the BoucherCon. The BoucherCon is a mystery crime writers convention. There were maybe four or five hundred there. Anyway, 
I was going to make a talk that night, so that afternoon I wrote my ten rules, which are pretty much the way they are today, but not quite as developed. When I came off the stage ten years ago, a guy was standing there, and I came off with this yellow sheet of paper. It was all handwritten, you know, and he says, he says, could I have that? And I said, yeah, here. I'm never thinking I would ever use it again. So... They were kind of written tongue-in-cheek at first, and when I delivered them. And I don't think the audience was that moved by them anyway, you know. But then I began to believe in them. I thought, wait a minute, this is true. You don't use any exclamation out of reason. I, When I was reading Kabuti, I checked against your rules. And, for example, unlike a lot of writers, whenever anyone speaks, it's always he said... She said, and one of your rules is never say Mr. Leonard insisted Riley, always just say said. Yes. Uh, even, you know, writers have won Pulitzer Prizes. They say he asserted, he insisted, oh, and I so know, on. I know. But to me, it stops what's going on. Maybe the length of the verb, and especially if you add a, a, an adverb with L-Y, that, that, that's a sin. You should not ever do that, you know. And some novelists, it's, it's ten years between novels, and they, they say they've got writer's block for a long, long time. But you've written so many. Do you have an unstoppable supply of plots? Well, it's not a supply. It's just uh, I'm bored. I'm sitting around, and I don't sit around too long. I think of something else, you know. But I have fun writing. It's not torture to me. I try and make it look easy. And I do, and I rewrite enough so that it's simple and, and clear, but it's fun. It's fun. That's the main thing. Um, do you generally have several ideas ahead, or is it book no, to book? No. no, but, see, I'm always thinking 300 pages, 100, 100, 100. And by the time I get through the third hundred, when I'm, say, halfway through but still don't know how it ends, if I think of another idea, it means... I know how this book ends, whether I'm aware of it or not. There's a good way to end it. And then I can think a little bit of this next book, something that intrigues me. And writers don't have to retire is a good thing. You can just keep just keep going. Well, what, I'd be bored stiff if I... But what I do, it's getting harder for me to read as my eyes uh, change. But I used to read... Always, constantly, but not, not so much anymore. The fact you talk about a novel for you as being roughly 300 pages divided by three, yeah. three sections of 100, that must be one reason why they worked so well on film, because, as you know, I mean, they, they think in three acts, don't they, in, in sure. movies? Yeah. And they like the dialogue. <laughs> you know, that's a given. But then they'll change the dialogue. Because the screenwriter, he's a writer, He's sitting there at his desk or at his computer, and I'm using a pen. I'm still using a pen. And uh, he wants to show that he can write, too, even if it's just to describe the scene. So when you see the movies, do you think, that's his bit, that's my bit? Oh, sure. Well, I recognize lines always, sure. The good ones use pretty much all that they can because they recognize the honesty, the reality of these lines in those scenes, you know. But get Shorty out of sight, 
and uh, Jackie Brown. Those are three good ones, you know, and I could watch those again. I think uh, Ombre with Paul Newman was good. First time he wore a wig. I think the wig was about almost as much as I got for the screenwrites. What the wig cost, because it was a good wig. Well, the difference between an artist and an... (laughs) Not bad, eh? Getting paid the same price as a wig costs for your main actor. (laughs) Lovely. Um, Elmer Leonard. Now, I mentioned the cast. Uh, I was trying to to think of the lead cast for... um, uh, I've forgotten the movie. I've forgotten the movie now. Oh, for goodness sake! Uh, <laughs> no, uh, true romance. Heavens above, true romance. The, listen to this for a cast list. Christian, Christians. So these were, I guess, the uh, more, more more often than not, these three will get top billing. Christian Slater, Patricia Arquette, Dennis Hopper. It also had in there Val Kilmer, Gary Oldman, Brad Pitt. James Gandolfini, Christopher Walken, Samuel L. Jackson, and the list goes on. It is just a superb movie. Um, so that's true romance. Uh, um, I, I, uh, if, if you like anything to do with Tarantino, anything to do with uh, really strong character, quirky characters, strong driven plot, then uh, grab hold of that and, and, and a bit of shoot em up um, uh, uh, before then. Uh, grab that one, it's fantastic. All right, uh, very nearly out to the end of the show, so let's just have a look. Uh, Saturday night on the island, big event for us on the island, community event down at Carroll's by the Sea. So that's at Little Oniroa, 6 to 8 p.m. on the 10th, coming up this Saturday. Um, So big ups to the local board for uh, sticking behind that one, which is great. We're delighted to be promoting that as well. So Carroll's by the Sea, uh, 10th of December, down at Little O. Get down there for that one. Um, also a uh, big ups to the choirs uh, from during the week um, we had Sister Shout V12 Canto Asola and Tahurihi Primary School Choir uh, Trio Canto Bambini Quartet Little Sister it was just uh, a, a, an amazing uh, one voice it was called at the Waiheke High School it was on last Sunday uh, and it was a packed house quite rightly so so it was just stunning stunning um, singing there congratulations to all involved for that one um, we got two new movies on the island uh, starting up if they haven't already begun one's Beginners that starts in fact um, tomorrow at 8pm and that's a fundraiser for Waiheke Pony Club that's on uh, so that's uh, Beginners which is a comedy drama um, and also Drive which is uh, actually starting tonight for the first show I wonder why that's why everybody's doing wheelies up the car park um, so, so Drive and uh, you can probably guess by the title of the movie that it's about uh, driving it's a story about a getaway driver um, who gets um, 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 conned? Anyway, um, that's the two uh, up and coming movies uh, just starting on the island. Uh, art, look, there's so much stuff happening around the galleries. Tivoli's got some fantastic stuff happening uh, with Jane Zuster's uh, exhibition that's happening in there at Tivoli. We've got uh, highlights and eclectic collection at the new art on Moa and Moa Avenue. Um, we've got the retro batch uh, down at the Red Shed, which is just. Uh, get down and look at that. They've, they've kitted out the whole of the red shed, just about like a like a uh, retro batch. And there's just heaps of stuff in there. There's some things in there from the historical society. It's just beautiful. Um, so get in there and check that out. And of course, at our community art gallery, we've got the uh, beginnings. It's going to be um, coming up of our um, uh, summer school, uh, which is going to be from nine to thirteen January. But check out at the Wahiki Community Art Gallery about that and enrolment. And I'll talk a bit more about uh, those events 
uh, next week on the show. So meanwhile, it's time for us to depart. Thanks to the artist Goldsmith uh, once again for looking af- after us. You'll find them at Studio Connections, Ocean View Road, Oniroa. And uh, till next week, uh, bye now. <laughs>